This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by The Strenuous Life. The Strenuous Life is an online platform that we developed to help you put your intentions into actions. We've done that in several ways. We've created over 50 badges based around 50 different skills, both hard and soft. There's skills on wilderness survival, camping, barbell training, fighting, but there's also skills on penmanship and personal finance, how to be a better father, et cetera. We've given you the requirements and just things that you can do right now so you can start putting this stuff that we've been talking about on the podcast or on the site for years into action as well. We also have daily check-ins for physical, activity and doing good deeds. We also have weekly challenges that we give you each week to put you out of your comfort zone. And we also provide ways for you to meet up in person with other people, like-minded men, to do this stuff together. So if you'd like to get in on the next enrollment, which will be in January, head over to strenuouslife.co, put your email on the waiting list. We'll send you an email when enrollment opens up in January, strenuouslife.co. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Your days seem like a continuous blur of busyness, and yet you don't seem to get much done, nor remember much about how you spend your time. As a former employee of Google, my guest today worked on the very apps and technology that can often suck away our time. Today, he's dedicated to figuring out how to push back against these forces to help people take control of their time and attention. His name is John Zeratsky, and he's the co-author of the book, Make Time, How to Focus on What Matters Every Day. Today on the show, John shares how the experience of feeling like he was missing months of his life led to him spending years experimenting with habits and routines, looking for the best ways to optimize energy, focus, and time. He then shares the simple four-step daily framework that he developed from this research and walks us through that system. John talks about choosing one highlight each day to ensure your most important work gets done and that your life is full of memorable moments. He also shares how to reduce the time you spend in waiting what he calls infinity pools, why energy management is just as important as time management, and how reflection is essential in figuring out what you're doing is actually working. Lots of valuable direction in this show for you to get your life on track and find more hours and meaning in the day. After it's over, check out our show notes at awim.is slash make time. John Zeratsky, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. So you co-authored a book, Make Time, How to Focus on What Matters Every Day. This is interesting because your co-author, Jake, and you, you both worked at Google, correct? Yeah, that's right. All right. So you guys, and you also spent time designing the apps that people spend a lot of time on, right? Gmail, <laughs> YouTube, yeah. the things that people are like, oh, I need, a, I need to like get a handle on this stuff. But then you hear you guys come out with a book saying, here's how to manage your time and not be distracted by these things we help, help create. <laughs> I mean, what was the impetus behind the book? Like, what, Did you guys have a problem with this stuff too? Yeah, definitely. So as you pointed out, working in technology, working on these products was such an interesting spot for us to be because on the one hand, you were working on on apps that people find very distracting, that people struggle with. And so we're kind of on the inside and we know how these things are made and that that gives us ideas for how people might make some adjustments, make some changes to affect that relationship. But the other thing that was pretty interesting was technology in many ways is kind of the the ground zero or the epicenter for a lot of what's what's crazy about our work cultures and about our the defaults that we all operate under so you know big tech companies 
lots of meetings, lots of email, there's instant messaging, there's an expectation that you're going to be online, you're going to be plugged in, you're going to be responsive. So we definitely, we both struggled um, working in that environment to feel like we were you know, using our energy and our time well at work, but also having something left over for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, that, you make the point, like these apps, like they, they help, they definitely help our lives, right? They improve our lives. But if you let, you have to learn how to manage it and take control of it instead of them controlling you. Let, let's talk about, you had this moment, this epiphany, right? You were, you were working and you felt like you were just like missing out like on months of your life, right? Like you didn't realize that like three months had passed and you like you couldn't remember like what happened during those three months. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So maybe to put that in context, we can go back to 2005 when I graduated from college and I was lucky enough to get a job at a tech startup in Chicago called FeedBurner. And I'd been in school and I had started a little web design business. So, you know, I, I had sort of developed some habits and some ways of making sure I was, I was productive. I was getting things done, but I was dropped into this company and this team that was very high performing. It was kind of the classic ideal of a tech startup. You know, it was, it was hard work, hustle, long hours. You know, people were, were super smart, super talented. And I wanted to thrive in that environment. I wanted to make the most of that opportunity. So I got really obsessed with productivity. And when I say productivity, I mean it in kind of the, the sense of trying to be as optimized and efficient and, and, you know, leave no scrap of time unused. So I, I became obsessed with uh, the book, Getting Things Done. That was sort of like my Bible. And I had the filing system and the to-do lists. And I had the stack of note cards that I carried with me at all times. And, and to a certain extent, that worked. But I, but I always felt like there had to be a better way. I felt like being productive was good, but it often just kind of made me feel like a machine. You know, just sort of like cranking through these endless lists of tasks I needed to do. In 2007, FeedBurner was bought by Google. And so then I was, I was working at Google and life was, was really good. Like I, you know, I had this great job. I had a, a great girlfriend who's now my wife. We had just moved into a new place in Chicago. But like you said, I, I woke up one day with kind of this feeling that time was just slipping away from me. And I started to try to figure out what was going on. And I realized that. I didn't have anything of substance going on day to day that I could sort of hold on to. I was in this productivity mindset of just cranking through, going to the meetings, answering the emails, getting things done. But it was all kind of at this consistent level of these, you know, small tasks. And it just led to this feeling that time was, was slipping away. Right. And then, I mean, I think I've, we've all experienced that. And I, I, the way I kind of describe it, the way I've experienced it is that I remember as a kid, I had these memories from like being a kid where I just like, like these moments, right? That they were really mundane, but for whatever reason, they stuck with me. And then as an adult, I found like, I got fewer of those, right? Because you do this, you do the same thing day in and day out and everything just sort of bleeds together. Yeah. I mean, I think that our days, you know, living as, as professionals in the 21st century, I think that our days tend to be made up of, of mostly small kind of inconsequential tasks, you know, things that happen. And the process of forming memories, it it happens automatically. You know, it just sort of, some things might stick out, some things might not, but 
when, when, when nothing is sort of that big of a deal, I think it's difficult to create those memories that, that make you feel like you're, you're living in time instead of just like, you know, seeing time move by. I, I read around that time when I was struggling, this was like 2008. I, I read a book called Wrapped by Winifred Gallagher. It was a really incredible book that has stuck with me for a long time. And she makes the argument that your experience of life is not necessarily what happens to you. It's what you pay attention to. And that was a big turning point for me. I realized that if I started to intentionally build my days around the things that I wanted to remember, then I could choose to pay attention to those. And that would that would have the effect of sort of slowing down the passage of time, very much like you know being a kid and, and just having those 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 summers that went on and on and those amazing right. memories from from those days. Yeah. So okay, the solution to this was this thing you called highlights. So what is a highlight? Yeah. So a highlight is the one activity or thing that you want to prioritize and protect in your day. So the idea is that. It's not the only thing you'll do, you know, and it's not like, you know, I, I don't think I'm unrealistic. You know, I don't want to encourage people to like you know, have this expectation that they can completely clear their calendar, clear their day. But uh, by choosing a highlight, you can kind of build your day around it. You can make sure that no matter what else happens, you made time for that one thing and, and you, can, you can feel like that time was well spent. So, I mean, what's an example of that? I mean, is this like, are the highlights like work-related or are they like something that just makes your life meaningful that you want to do? Yeah, for me, they're they're all of the above. They they tend to be more work-related stuff for me. You know, like I often spend time on my highlight first thing in the morning, right after I wake up. I went through this this process of becoming a morning person about five, six years ago. So I love to wake up, make some coffee and work on my highlight, which is usually writing something or doing some kind of design work or something that's related to work. But in the book, we talk about a few different kind of approaches for coming up with your highlight. And, and what I described is, I think, kind of an example of of satisfaction, you know, looking at what task or activity is going to be really satisfying. It's not necessarily the most urgent thing, but it's the thing that it's it's going to be a good chunk of work that you you want to do and you feel good about doing it. But sometimes my highlight is something that needs to get done, you know, something that's that's urgent. And that's another strategy. And and a lot of times, you know, like on Saturday, my wife and I are we just moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we're taking a, a food tour that's sort of a, a, a tour of Milwaukee for Milwaukeeans. And so I know that on Saturday, like that's going to be my highlight. Like that's going to be the thing. It's, it's not something I have to get done. It's not something productive, but it's something that I want to do. And I'm going to kind of build my day around really enjoying uh, and savoring that. So, if you, so as long as you accomplish your highlight, like that day was a win, even if you didn't get much done else. That's, I mean, that's, that's my take. You know, I think there's always there's always bad stuff that can happen to us, but my experience and I think experience that's backed up by some research and and by experience of experiences of other people, people who have who have read about this stuff as we've been writing about it before the book, you know, just on on the web, it seems to be the case that when you build your days around one thing that you want to make time for, Time moves more slowly and you feel better about the way you spent that time. 
Oh, so let's talk about how you establish these highlights. Because like, I think people have heard the idea of, you know, stop, you know, people establish goals for themselves, but usually goals are often abstract and too far away in the future. It's like, well, yeah. save for retirement or like, I'm going to go on a vacation. Totally. So how does uh, a highlight differ from a goal in that regard? Yeah. I mean, a highlight is really short term. It's, it's something that you want to do that day. It's very much a daily process. And I think Jake and I kind of have this, this hypothesis that most advice about time management and self-help kind of stuff is, is way too intimidating. You know, it's really big. It's like, it's like, you know, what do you want your life to be? You know, where do you want to be in five years? You know, it's, it's really grand. And I think when you're, when you're feeling busy and you're feeling distracted and you're feeling like you're, you're on autopilot and like the days are, are sort of flying by trying to break from that and all of a sudden shift into thinking about these grand plans, I think is, is pretty tough. It's pretty unrealistic. So our belief is that if you can start small, you can start by identifying what you want to do that day, the thing you want to make time for, and then starting to, to reclaim a little bit of the time that you might otherwise lose to, to your smartphone, social media, meetings, email, whatever, a lot of these default behaviors, if you can start to reclaim a little bit of that time, it can build from there. You'll have a little bit more space, a little bit more time to think about what's important to you. You'll recognize the things that you enjoy doing, the things that are motivating to you that create that clarity and sense of purpose around your time. And those might build into something really grand and big. They might build into you know, some trip or a career change or retirement but they might not. They might just be something that makes your existing life a, a little bit better, a little bit slower, a little bit you know more joyful. Well, one example you give in the book of a highlight was you and your wife you know built this boat and wanted to go sailing. So that's like a huge goal. So like, did you just did you just break it down like you know you decided Saturday is going to be boat day? I'm going to make at least two hours for boat day. Is that how that worked? Kind of, yeah. And, and just to uh, make sure that I'm not getting any undue credit, we did not build a boat. Okay. We, uh, you had to repair we, it though, we, right? Yeah. We, we bought an old boat and then we ended up selling that one and getting a different boat. And and yeah, we, we ultimately ended up spending about eight months on the boat. We sailed from San Francisco all the way down the coast of North America to Panama. Boat's in Panama right now and we'll be spending another probably six months on the boat this winter. But yeah, what you said about you know, sort of on the weekend days, using that same approach of having a highlight and saying, you know, what's the thing that, that we want to focus on now that's going to move us toward this goal? That's exactly what we did. I think that, I think that we were, so I, I've kind of a maybe unconventional way of thinking about goals. And it's that I feel like goals are risky. I think that you touched on how there's sort of these, these abstract, amorphous things. And I think that they, they create sort of a, a feeling that we're not good enough yet because we haven't reached our goal. And if only we reach our goal, then we'll, we'll be satisfied. Then we'll, we'll be happy with ourselves, which, which I don't think is a great, a great way to live day to day. I also think that they blind us to what's happening in the present. If we become so fixed on a goal that we're working toward, we might not notice when our priorities change. We might not follow something that comes, that appears that we enjoy doing in the meantime. So 
for for my wife and and me, we I wouldn't say that we made this sailing plan. You know, it's called cruising in the sailing world. That's the idea of of traveling by sailboat. I wouldn't say that we made cruising a goal until very late in the game, until uh, until we got to the point where like there was there was a finite set of things that we needed to do to prepare the boat, to prepare ourselves to be ready to actually leave at a certain time. And then, you know, we got into, you know, making spreadsheets and to-do lists and all the sort of typical stuff you do when you're managing a big project. But but earlier on, for me, it was really about trying to find the the skills or the behaviors that I wanted to develop so that I would be in a position to go cruising, to pursue this goal and use my highlights and use my time to develop those skills and those behaviors. And so you guys, I mean, as you said, there's different ways to pick your highlight of the day. One could be, you know, the sense of urgency, like this has to get done right? In order for me to move forward at work, whatever. So that's one way to pick a, a highlight. And the other one is just like also like joy and satisfaction. Like the one thing you think. Yeah. That, that's tricky too, because sometimes we think something will give us satisfaction and joy, but we do it <laughs> yeah, and totally. it doesn't. But I mean, I think that's one of the nice things about highlights. Instead of like, you know, one, one of the problems with goals, as you said, you kind of get fixated on it. You get goal lock and you keep pursuing it because like you feel like you should, but like with the, I feel like the highlight concept, it's a little more, it's flexible. So it's like, well, yeah. that didn't, that didn't really bring me satisfaction. All right, move on to something else. Yeah, totally. I mean, flexibility and really like forgiveness, you know, is sort of, those are some of the, the key philosophies behind this book. You know, Jake and I being obsessed with, this idea of redesigning time, of how we spend our time. We've read tons of books and blog posts and, you know, we've read all the things about, you know, the, the 18 things you should do before 8 a.m. and that, that, all that kind of advice that you see. And I, I just feel like so much of it is so, so intense and so unforgiving. And so we, we think that making these changes to how you're spending your time is, is better approached from a standpoint of flexibility and forgiveness to be able to say, you know, I don't know what I want to be doing in five years. And I know I'm not going to completely remake my life overnight. Um, and I'm not going to adopt this exact set of steps that is, is, you know, kind of being presented as a framework. But if I can start small and every day I can try to make time for something that is important, we know that people can, can build and those changes can compound. And, you know, Jake and I both found that those led us to places, you know, with the the sailing stuff and with writing, that approach led us to places in our in our lives that we didn't necessarily plan. Those weren't necessarily goals. They weren't things that we saw coming. I mean, another sort of mindset shift that you that I that I thought was really useful. Let's take this task of getting a boat ready to go sailing around the world. You know, as you said, there's like all these things you have to do to get ready. And the tendency, you know, the self-help, you know, the productivity books to say like, you need to, you know, set a deadline for each of these little tasks, right? But then like, I've done that before. And what ends up happening is like all of my tasks are over. <laughs> right? I've got that like right now, I, I used to do this and I'm like, all right, this week, this task is going to be done by this, blah, blah. And then like, it was due two days ago. Yeah. And it's like in red saying, I need, it's, I need to get this done. You, you guys said, instead of doing that, like having these sort of like assigned tasks for certain days, like have instead of like 
a task list, have, have a, a might, or instead of having a to-do list, have a, a might-do list, yeah. right? So it's like, you go in like, so today is boat day. I'm going to spend two hours. Here's a list of tasks that I could possibly do. Yeah. And why do you think that's so powerful in like moving forward on those things that are really meaningful to you? Yeah, and that's very much how I how I plan my days, you know, ongoing. I think the what's powerful about the might do list is that it separates the decision about what you should do or what you could do from the act of doing it. I think that if you sit down in front of a to-do list that is neatly organized and categorized and everything's got a priority and a deadline and all these different things, there's there's a a chance, a good chance that you're not going to end up spending time on the most important things. You might you might knock off the easy things or the things that are maybe the they appear the most urgent because you put a date on them and they're overdue, but maybe they're not actually the most important things that you should be doing. Whereas I think if you if you have a list, a might do list, what I call it, and before you sit down to start working on that stuff, you you review that and you think about what's important to do in that time and then you schedule it, I think that you have a much better chance of actually spending your time on the things that are important. So I I don't even use a, a to-do list at all. I just have a note in Google Keep. So it's on my computer and on my phone. It's just my like one big might-do list and it has a couple of um, headings in it, but there's no like priority. There's no dates. The, the calendar is really where I sort of handle, you know, the question of when am I going to do things? But but I I think that that very human process of of reviewing and intuitively deciding here's what's important now is essential and I think it's something that to-do lists don't necessarily help us do. Yeah, one thing I've noticed whenever I'm working on a larger task and I create to-do list, like as I get started working on the project, like I realized that what I thought was urgent is no longer urgent, or I need to solve this other problem first before I get to this. So it's like, I don't know. I think the idea of a might-do list gives them flexibility to, when you actually get started, you can make adaptations. Yeah. Well, and and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a, a trick, right? It's like part of it is just in the framing, you know, this idea that right. instead of a to-do list, it's it's a might-do list. You know, it's it's I think in that spirit of of forgiveness and flexibility that we talked about a, a few minutes ago. And there's you know, maybe maybe that's not the most life-changing shift in thinking, but I do think that there's something valuable about it. So we're gonna be flexible with you know what we do with this highlight, whatever we pick it, whatever we pick it to be. And here's a question. Can you, can your highlight change from day to day? Or is this something where you, it's like you, you sit down on Sunday and here's like another typical productivity tip. You got to plan your week on Sunday night and, you know, decide what you're going to do each day of the week. Or is this concept a little more flexible? It's like, well, you know, today is going to be boat day or today is going to be writing memo day or whatever. Yeah. Um, how does that work? Yeah. So make time is really a daily framework. So we think that the day is kind of the the sweet spot. That's the right size that we are capable of both thinking about in a productive way, but then actually acting on. You know, when you create that plan for the week or or, or you know the the one year plan or the five year plan for yourself, it's too difficult to to predict, to know what's what's really going to happen, how you're going to feel, what else is going to sort of happen to you. And so the day kind of feels like a sweet spot. So setting highlight 
is a daily activity. The other steps in the, the make time framework, laser, energize, and, and reflect, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. Those are all daily activities. And yeah, the highlight can totally be, can be something different every day. You know, you can kind of jump between one day there might be something urgent you need to take care of. And then once you've got that off your plate, the next day you feel like you can do something really satisfying. The end of the week rolls around and you, and, and you choose a, a joyful highlight, something that is just going to be really fun for you. The, the kind of the twist on that or the exception is when, when we're working on a, a big project, we often find it valuable to think of sort of a, a personal sprint. So essentially choosing the same highlight every day for a week or for longer or highlights that are thematically related. So if you're, if you're working on, you know, creating something new. And, and this was the case when we were, when we were writing make time, you know, pretty much every day with the, with a few exceptions, my highlight was about make time. It was about writing, you know, the, writing a draft of the next chapter or reviewing something that Jake had written or working on outlining a certain section. But having a sort of similar or the same highlight day after day, I think really allows us to to get into the groove, to get into flow in a way that's difficult to do just, you know, within one day. But that's kind of a, an advanced move. That's not, you know, that's not really like sort of the the basic way that that the highlight works. Right. When you actually, you guys co-authored a book called Sprint as well, where you kind of, right, where you talk about the uh, system you all used at Google to, you know, get these big projects moving forward and completed. Yeah. So, so that book is about the five-day design sprint process where a team goes from idea or challenge to a prototype that they can test with customers in five days. And, and running those sprints was, was really interesting for us because it was almost like a, a time management laboratory where we got to bring all these people in and work with them and see how, see how people reacted to changes in the defaults of how we spend our time, and make tweaks and try to improve things and, and see how it went. And one of the things that was, was really interesting is just the gains that you get from focusing on the same thing for a week. Instead of trying to move projects forward by, you know, little bit and little bit, when you can, excuse me, when you can sort of load all of that knowledge and expertise about what you're working on into your your working memory, you know, as a in, into your brain, it's not like you make you know five times as much progress because it's five days. You make you make way more. You make so much more progress because you don't have to. You don't have the switching costs. You don't have to reload your working memory every time you try to pick up that project again. Gotcha. So I was thinking as I was listening to you, like taking this to, I can see how I work in your work life, right? There's a big project. You just spend five days. And every day that your highlight is going to be working on this project and moving it forward. But I was thinking in your personal life, right? Like one of the things that people try to do, but they try to do bits and pieces, like getting their house organized or their garage organized. Yeah. So they like, you know, they spend like basically an hour every Saturday doing sure. that's all they got. But like maybe you just set aside, okay, this week, every night for just an hour, our highlight is clean out and organize the garage. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think that like that way of that way of thinking about a project can be you know almost freeing and, and and really really motivating because 
when you have the clarity that that's what you have decided to do and that's what's important, you no longer feel like you're trying to squeeze it in in between other stuff or or, or kind of making that decision in real time, like, oh, you know, I, I could watch TV, but I really should clean the garage. Like when you've when you've sort of made a plan and said, you know, this is gonna be this is gonna be my highlight is to is to you know, after we finish dinner, we're gonna go and, and we're gonna work in the garage for an hour. I think it allows you to 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 look forward to that and to to enjoy it more, even if it's something that's you know not really all that fun. We're gonna take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. All right, most diets fail because they make you change way too many foods all at once. When you want to fix how you eat, you should do the opposite. Make one change. Do it slowly and let it stick. With the One Fix app, a nutritionist will analyze your meals. They find the one thing that's causing your body to store extra fat and give you a fix. And you're probably wondering how they're going to analyze your meals. Well, you're going to take a picture of everything you put into your mouth. They're going to look at those pictures. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Just take a picture. They're going to look at that and they're going to say, you make this one fix. Could be remove this from your diet or replace this with that. You do that one fix every day for one month. Just doing one fix so it's easy. When it becomes a part of who you are, you begin the next fix. Diabetes or heart disease running your family or an extra 30 pounds has been something you're trying to lose for a long time. This can be the thing that'll help you make that change. So go to onefix.com and use code manliness to get $50 off your first month. That's onefix.com, code manliness to get $50 off your first month. Once you download the app, a nutritionist will help you get started. Get one fix today. Also buy the Great Courses Plus. Learning new skills is a great way to stay sharp and stay ahead. That's one reason why I enjoy the Great Courses Plus. With the Great Courses Plus, you can learn tips and tools from award-winning experts that can help you both professionally and personally. They've got pretty much lectures on any topic you can imagine, history, science, philosophy, and more. There's always something new to learn. One course I recommend checking out is the Art of Debate. Debating skills, people think they know how to debate, but really they just know how to yell at each other on social media. That's not debate. Debating skills are useful in almost every setting, and this course will help you get ahead of the pack, teaching you things like how to quickly construct persuasive rebuttals. So if you'd like to check out The Art of Debate, and I recommend you do, you can watch this again with the Great Courses Plus app from your TV, computer, tablet, phone, or you can stream just the audio with the Great Courses Plus app. Head over to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash manliness to start a free trial. You'll have unlimited access to their entire library only at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash manliness. One more time, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash manliness. And now back to the show. So we're pretty flexible with, you know, the to-do list, might-do list. But the one thing you don't want to be flexible with on the, the highlight is like, you set aside time for it and like you basically protect that with your life, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So so when people are getting started with this, we, we kind of think that 60 to 90 minutes is a good chunk of time to spend on a highlight. It's something that most people can realistically create by adjusting their schedule and by reclaiming time from distracting and addicting apps and and devices but it's also it's long enough that you can really you can sink your teeth into it you can kind of get in the groove you can get into flow you can you can feel like it was it was worthwhile it was something meaningful all right so uh, let's talk about so we set aside our, we've picked our highlight we set aside time for it we're going to protect it with our life say no to things right and i think you know that's the hard part for people stuff comes up and you think well it's my highlight. I'm working on the garage. I could probably do that. Just say, say I got. I already got plans. And people <laughs> yeah. won't say anything. Let's talk about the those 
things that distract us, right? That can sort of, if we spend too much time on it, it can seep into our, our highlight time. So you call these, you know, we talk about you guys worked at Google. You call these things like email, YouTube, even web browsers. You call these things infinity pools. Why, why is that? Yeah. So an infinity pool is any app or service or product that has an infinite and replenishing source of content inside of it. If you can pull to refresh or if it streams nonstop, you know, you know, like the, the Netflix example of, of starting the next episode right after the previous one ends, that's an infinity pool. And we, we kind of came up with that term because, you know, there, there's always more water in the pool. You know, you can always jump back in. It's, the level is never going to go down. It's never going to go away. It's never going to be, be empty. And, and these are really challenging. You know, these are infinity pools are a new invention in the, the history of humankind until just like 10 years ago, most things in our world were finite and infinity pools. They really, they pull on several of the threads that make up the fabric of who we are as humans, as you know, of how we evolved. For example, we evolved to really care about people and stories and gossip. So social media you know, Instagram showing photos of what other people are doing and, and, and what, what their lives are like. That's very appealing to us. We are naturally susceptible to distraction because if you think about a pre-industrial, pre-agricultural world, if there's a flash in the corner of your eye, you should probably check and look what it is. You know, it might be a, a tree falling or it might be a, a, a large animal. It might be, you know, something you need to be aware of. Whereas today, most of the distractions are not actually important. And, and we also evolved to value what psychologists call variable rewards or random rewards. And sort of the classic example of this is a slot machine where you pull the handle and it's really easy and low cost to pull the handle. And most times, nothing happens or nothing good happens. But on occasion, something amazing happens. There's always the chance that something really great is going to happen when you pull that handle. And if you think about it, that's exactly what these infinity pool apps are like. And we, we sort of evolved to, to value those things as well because imagine you're, you're hunting, you're gathering, you're trying to find food that you need to survive. And you know, some days you might go out and come back empty-handed. But every once in a while, something great happens. Every once in a while, you, you, know, you make a, a big kill or you come across uh, you know, a, a bush with, that's, that's full of berries or you, know, you find some ripe fruit or something like that. And so really deep in our DNA, we've got this, this appreciation for and this love of these variable rewards. And, I mean, the other thing about in, infinity pools, if we're, the whole goal of make time is to have more of these moments in our life or that we remember. I think with infinity pools, like if I look back and I think I've been using the internet for, I don't know, however long, 15, I don't know. I can't even, that's the thing. Like it's all slipped by me. It's all amorphous, <laughs> but like, I can't remember like a moment, like being on the internet and being like, I, I remember when I read this Reddit thread and it was <laughs> awesome. I, I remember when I scrolled through Instagram, I saw this cool, like that never happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's totally true. And and so I, I think like the combination of these these innate human characteristics with the just the sheer convenience, you know, just the fact that these things are are 
in our pockets or in our, our handbags or right in front of us is just kind of this perfect storm. It's just this, this really powerful cocktail that tends to, to suck time away from us in a way that we don't even notice is happening. And, and those behaviors, one of the things we talk about a lot in the book is this idea of, of defaults, how these behaviors are not necessarily things we decided to do. It's not like there's some, you know, grandmaster plan for the, the best way to, to spend your time every day. But because these infinity pool apps have become the defaults in our world, many of us just kind of find ourselves mindlessly checking them or we, we pick up our phone for a quick check of something and we end up doing something else. And so what Jake and I have done and what we encourage people to do is to think about ways that they can change those defaults. Right. So, I mean, some of you guys get pretty drastic. Like some of us like just remove your email app from your phone, yeah. remove your web browser from your phone. Yeah. Yeah. And the, they're all based on the same idea, which is that the best way to avoid distraction is to make it more difficult to get distracted. So to remove those, or sorry, to create barriers to distraction. Designers like us, we've spent years and years trying to remove the barriers, trying to make apps like email and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube as easy to get into and as easy to use as possible. You don't have to sign in. You stay signed in. You don't have to even think to open the app because there's a notification on your phone that reminds you about it. And we believe that by creating barriers to distraction, you you can take willpower out of the equation. You can take self-control out of the equation. You don't need to constantly resist the urge to check these things, but by removing apps from your phone, by signing out of, of websites that are very distracting, even doing things like rearranging your living room so that the TV is not the focal point can just make it a little bit more difficult to get sucked into these infinity pools. And they have the result then of freeing up that time for other things, freeing, freeing up that time for your highlight. Right. And I, I think one tactic, like people are like, man, how could I ever like get by without email on my phone or a web browser? I mean, like with email, I, I actually, I don't have email on my phone anymore either. And I, what kind of finally realized, I, I mean, to remove is like, I've never answered email from my phone Ever. Yeah, all you do is look at it and get, get stressed out right. about all the things you're not answering. Right. So yeah, I guess just be thoughtful about the apps you have on your phone. You guys also give suggestions. Like you have a website, right? What's the website? Make time. Oh yeah, for the book, uh, the website is called maketimebook.com. That's the domain. But you also I mean you offer you know app suggestions that you can block you know certain things on your phone, and that's that's all useful. So the idea is just figure out what your defaults are, and then rearrange those defaults to put obstruction between getting into these infinity pools. Yeah, and and as you you touched on like it can be it can be pretty daunting or pretty extreme to think about wow, like no email on my phone, like that's crazy. But we we encourage people to think about when it comes to infinity pool apps, we, we encourage people to think about what's the underlying value or purpose for using that thing because you know, we we start using an app or service or a tool for a reason. You know, there's, there's obviously something good about it. So for example, you might, you might be thinking about Facebook and you might think, well, you know, I, I like using Facebook because it allows me to keep in touch with my family and I can see pictures of my, you know, my friend's kids or something like that and, and kind of follow that thread through to the, the conclusion of like, well, 
will I still be able to do that if I don't have it on my phone, if I don't have it at my fingertips at every moment? And the answer in, in most cases is yes. You know, I, I use Twitter for a, a lot of kind of work-related stuff. That's how I kind of promote my work and, and talk to readers and answer questions. Um, but I don't need it on my phone. I don't need to be have access to it 24-7 to do that. I use Twitter on my computer. I use it for a, a limited time each day. And when I'm done with it, I, I log out and I close the tab and I, I go on with my day. Email kind of fits into that as well. There's actually some pretty interesting research that we write about in the book where people who spend less time on email actually get better at email. So um, they're able to respond, like the, the time that it takes per message to respond, like gets shorter and shorter when people, you know, just do email at the end of the day or just have like a certain chunk of time when they do email. So I think the the kind of the perspective that I'm talking through here is trying to be clear about why you use these things and then ask yourself the question of whether it needs to be always on, you know, always at your fingertips. All right. So this is one of these tactics you guys highlights about you you all highlight about, you know, this laser focus part of the the make time process. So you yeah. have your highlights and then you're going to laser in on it where you're going to avoid distractions. So yeah, avoid these infinity pools. But you also talk about, uh, you know, avoiding, I mean, one of the, you talk, I think that's a really point, interesting point you made in the book because I've fallen in this trap is avoiding getting caught up, like spending so much time on your productivity system that you actually don't get actual things done. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so basically avoid the fancy tools because that, that can get really exciting. That's right. Yeah. And that's another one that uh, came directly out of my own experience, you know, just being, you know, nerding out on like uh, all the different to-do list apps and the, you know, the uh, project management apps and, and that kind of stuff. I think that, that these, you know, I call them fancy tools. They, they feel like work, but they're not actually work. You know, if you, if you have an idea for an app that you are thinking of building, you know, instead of, you know, just grabbing a piece of paper and start sketching what the UI looks like, you know, you think, oh, I need to have a, a, a fancy notebook and a really nice pen. Or if you want to start writing something, you know, you have to go and download and install like a, you know, a distraction-free writing app or like a, you know, one of these like dedicated screenplay writing apps. And, and, and those are just like sort of a form of procrastination. You know, they're things that I think are, are easy to get into because they're kind of fun and they, they're the, the path of least resistance. But when we really stop and think about it, they're not actually what we want to be doing, what we want to be spending our time on. All right. They, they, they distract you. All right. So there's pick your highlight. You're going to laser. And there's a whole bunch of tactics, you know, and we've talked about some of them, avoiding the energy, the, the infinity pools. The next part of the, the make time process is energize. So this is like basically energy management. Why do you think that's an important part of personal productivity? I think that focusing on building energy is important because it helps us, helps us avoid distraction in the first place and, and, and kind of make better decisions in those moments, you know, day to day about what we're going to do next. So I've, I've definitely been in a situation where like, you know, I wake up and maybe I stayed up too late or maybe I was like, you know, I was watching TV too late or I, you know, I drank a little bit too much or I had like a, you know, a huge meal or something like that. 
and I wake up and I feel groggy or or sluggish or you know not not energized. And on those mornings, I'm way more likely to you know jump into my email or or open Twitter right away instead of spending time on my highlight. And you know, I think I think if you've ever you know felt really sluggish after a big lunch or if you've ever you know, felt kind of clear-headed and invigorated after after going for a run, you can kind of you can kind of see this connection between the energy that we create with our bodies and how that affects the decisions and the things that we do with our brains. Right. So basically, you know, the advice is like basically the stuff you've been hearing your entire life and long, how to live a healthy life, get like, you know, get plenty of sleep, you know, <laughs> eat right, exercise, uh, any other tactics that you found to be very, you know, pretty useful and energizing you? Yeah. The, the, the big categories, are, like you're saying, are kind of the, the stuff that everybody already knows. So, so food, exercise, sleep. And then we also think that, that finding quiet, you know, moments of quiet away from the noise of, of modern life and spending face-to-face time with other people, we think that these are really important ways to build energy. But but we also know that like this kind of advice is like it's everywhere and everybody already knows about it. So so we try to translate that into really concrete specific tactics that people can try and that it doesn't re- represent, you know, some dramatically new extreme diet or some like super intense workout program, but kind of little things that that you can fit into your day. Right. And also I'm, I'm could like these things be a highlight for somebody like they, you know it definitely could be i mean i think that there's a you know depending on what you're into and what you like you know for example cooking is as i think a, a an activity that can be it can be a highlight it can be something that improves the the healthfulness of the food that you eat and it can also be a way to to give yourself energy by using your body by moving your body i actually took a lot of inspiration from from some of your writing Brett, about like kind of the the strenuous life, this idea of of doing things, you know, of of having a a DIY life instead of a remote control life, you know, when you know instead of ordering ordering delivery and and you know using the the laundry apps and the you know gr- grocery delivery and all all these things, all these conveniences that are available, something like cooking kind of hits a few of those principles. At the same time, no, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. We 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 did a series on Winston Churchill, and one of the interesting things about this guy, he had he had a weird schedule. Like he stayed up late, he slept in. You know, he would dictate to his secretary while he's in his pajamas in his bed or in his bathtub. <laughs> you know, weird guy. You know, but he worked hard. Like when he was working, he was working hard. Yeah. But for a break, instead of just taking it easy, like he would go like build a wall in his garden or go yeah. paint. Um, and that energized him to go back to whatever else you had to do. Totally. Yeah, I feel that as well. Like, um, I I get a lot of satisfaction and and frankly a lot of energy out of doing things the hard way. You know, kind of choosing the the manual route, doing things where there there's a clear there is a a clear sort of convenient way to to do the thing, but choosing the harder way. You know, walking is is a perfect example. It obviously it takes longer to walk most times, but it actually, I feel like it, it actually creates time because I'm getting energy from that activity, but I, I also have additional mental space that is happening 
uh, while I'm walking, you know, same with, with cleaning or cooking or, or, you know, carrying something home from the store, you know, it creates kind of this, this meditative space, this, this opportunity to, to allow ideas to emerge, to start to kind of reflect on, on what you're doing, how you're spending your time. So yeah, for me, those sort of, you know, hands-on, almost those intentionally inconvenient approaches to everyday activities are are really important. No, yeah. I've, I've noticed that like whenever I do nothing, it always sounds appealing, but then doing nothing can often just be like exhausting. I don't know why. <laughs> and so, but yeah, so if I actually do something on my like a break, I come back to work more energized. It's it's bizarre. I don't know why it works that way. But yeah, that's I mean, like taking a break from work and 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 checking, you know, Twitter is kind of like the classic right. example of that. It's like, oh, like this will be a cool b- break. I'll you know, I'll, I'll I'll catch up on what's going on, and then you get done with it, and you're like, wait, that wasn't a break. Like, I don't I don't feel refreshed. I don't feel renewed. Um, now I need a, Now I need a real break. Yeah, right, right. A real break. All right, so uh, you know, just basically take care of yourself so you can be more productive when you're working on the things that are important. So there's highlights, uh, laser, energize, and then there's this reflect. What does that reflection process look like? Yeah, so reflect might be the most important part of, of the whole thing. And the idea is that you'll spend just a couple minutes every day thinking back on, on how your day went. What was your highlight? Did you have time for it? And which tactics did you use? Are there things from the book that you tried? And did they work well? And if they didn't work well, what do you want to try again tomorrow? For me, this is something that like I've been I've been kind of thinking about this stuff for so long and I've been on this this journey for so long that I I do a lot of this reflection kind of intuitively. I have space in my day where I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking or, or I'm, you know, n- not actively engaged in, in work. And I'm, I'm always thinking about, you know, just how things are going, but I know that I'm a little bit weird in that, in that way. So and at the same time, there's a lot of advice out there. I think about journaling and about stuff like that, that can, can feel pretty overwhelming. So we're trying to offer people a, a very small, very bite-sized activity that they can do to basically answer a couple of questions and put themselves in this experimental mindset, put themselves in this way of thinking that doesn't have you know, perfection as a goal, doesn't have the, the perfect application of this 20-part this system, but just has this spirit of like, just do a little, just get a little better every day. Just do something a little different every day and see how it goes for you. And I mean, here's the question. Like, how do you keep this up day in and day out? Because that's the problem with what I found with like productivity systems, right? Like, you know, get, getting things done, for example. I did that too back in whenever, 2007, 2006 when sure, it came yeah. out. And it's like, yeah, this is really cool. I went out and bought all the stuff and I did it for like two weeks. And then it's like, no, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna. I got that collection of GTD stuff sitting there now. Yeah. Um, so like with this, like, how do you keep it up day in and day out? Yeah, I mean, I think that as much as possible, it's helpful to to try to make some of these things automatic. So I know there's a lot of advice out there about about creating habits, and and I'm certainly not an expert on that. But I think to the extent that you can create habits around these activities, that's 
that's really helpful. I think even just just shifting a mindset can really reinforce certain behaviors. But at the same time, like I I don't know that there is necessarily an easy answer to that question. I think I think part of it has to come from an external sense of motivation, a sense that you want to change things or that you want to work toward something better. And 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 I think that that's one of the one of the results of this approach to making time that as you start to create a little bit of space every day, you start to get a clearer view of of where you're headed and what's important to you. For example, when my wife and I were just starting to get into sailing and we were spending time learning about our boat and fixing up our boat and taking short trips on the boat, you know, we didn't necessarily have some grand plan that we were working toward, but the more time we spent on it and the more we use these techniques to create space in our days, the stronger motivation we were able to build about what we were working toward. And so, you know, I don't have a perfect formula for, for how to, you know, change your behavior overnight, how to, how to make these changes stick. But I do think that starting to, to slow things down and create a little bit of space every day is the first step. Well, John, where can people go to learn more about the book? We already talked about Make Time Book, right? That's right. Yeah. MakeTimeBook.com. Great place to go just to follow. Everything that Jake and I are doing and writing about is Time Dorks. Time Dorks. So that's like our that. newsletter. It's all about experiments and time management. And then perhaps ironically, I, I would suggest that people follow me on Twitter <laughs> as well. My username is Jazzer. J-A-Z-E-R. It's when they're taking their fake break. They can check you out. Exactly. <laughs> well, hey, John, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much, Brad. My guest there is John Zaraski. He's the co-author of the book, Make Time. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can also find out more information about the book at his website, maketimebook.com, all one word. You can find links to tools and free resources there. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is slash maketime, where you can find links to resources, where you can delve deeper into this topic and to put it into action. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, you've gotten something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. That helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Stay manly.